0: It's me this time. You can take your Bible and turn to Psalm 67. Psalm number 67. I love the Psalms. I love them so much, I'm thankful there's over 150. Psalm 67, starting at verse number 1. God be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt Judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you this evening, again breaking the bread of life, I pray that you'll pour your Spirit upon us, that we may grasp a hold of the meaning of why you've preserved this text for us. We give thanks to you for all that you've done, we thank you for the ways in which you are working here at the Witten Place Baptist Church. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2001, we faced a time in our nation like we have never faced before. In 2001, our nation had fallen under attack, and many of us who are old enough can remember exactly where we were the day that the World Trade Centers were crashed into. Our president, I can still remember him, George Bush, standing there on the TV proclaiming war against terror. When he proclaimed this war against terror, he Mounded up troops and sent the troops over to Afghanistan. This, these troops that we sent to Afghanistan, they really had a twofold purpose: to conquer the evil that set out to attack this nation, and two to be a liberator to those who were held captive by the rule of these evil people. Could you imagine in all of the emotions that you felt that day in the heightened of your heart when the World Trade Centers were crashed into that, you heard that these soldiers who were over in Afghanistan to be liberators, they were people who were to bring about freedom. What would you think would have gone through your mind if you would have heard these liberators had now became citizens of Afghanistan, if they would have joined the ranks of those people. Psalm 67 is a psalm to the missionary heart. It is a psalm to clarify our life's mission. It sets aside this thought process that it is possible. And that it is impossible, so to say, to be tasked with the cause to be planted for a purpose to liberate those people who are captive and yet to become a citizen of those people who are held in captivity. Psalm 67 is not as famous, so to say, as Other Psalms that we've read or that we've studied, but Psalm 67 has an important message. And that this important message is that the Lord desires you, each and every one of us, to reach the world for His glory. This is His desire. As I said, this is considered the missionary Psalm. It's not because the emphasis that the psalmist places on the fact that God exists. Now, he kind of goes into Psalm 67, assuming that everyone understands that God exists. But why this is considered a missionary psalm? Because his overwhelming desire, not only for the people of God, but for the entire world to praise God. He sets out with a desire, not only that he wants to praise God, not only does he want the world to praise God, but he wants the world to enjoy God just like he does. Even more, he wants the entire world to come to this knowledge and understanding of God, that they will fear God just like he does. This is the importance of missions. This is the importance of what we do. This is the heart of outreach. I think at times we, when we think about outreach, our mind is about getting the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel. And this is true. But the ultimate end goal of getting the gospel to other countries is because there are places in this country that are not giving glory to God. The end goal of souls being saved is so that the entire world will come together with one voice and praise God for his matchless grace. So the psalmist's desire is that the whole world may come to this place of Praise, enjoyment, and fear of God. Notice, firstly, here that the psalmist does not encourage you to do something that he is not doing himself. Verse number three: Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Matter of fact, he repeats this twice in verse three and verse five. Let the people. Praise thee. He starts off here in reference to himself. Let the people, the people of God, praise thee. Then he moves from himself. He moves from the covenant community to the entire world. Let all the people praise thee. He just comes to a complete understanding that all the world deserves and should give praise and glory to God. And this is to say also, noticing that he starts with himself, this is to say, do not expect the world to praise God if they're around you and you ain't praising God. This is to say, don't expect the world to have joy about your Savior if you don't have no joy about your Savior yourself. You see, every time in Psalm 67, he starts with the people of God and then goes to the world. We have joy. They should have joy. We are praising God. They should praise God. We enjoy God. They should enjoy God. We fear God. And may all the world of God. But it always starts at home first. It always starts in the heart. It's hard to have something that you believe is contagious and you ain't caught it yourself. Psalm 67 says that uh, the psalmist really, if you look at it, what the psalmist is saying is I don't, I want. he wanted to be a channel. His life He wanted it to be a channel for God's blessings. We know and completely understand that there is a difference between a channel and a terminal. We understand that there is a difference between a river of blessings and a reservoir of blessings. A pipeline of God's blessings to others, not a faucet in his own house. He wanted to be a blessing to others because he was so blessed by God. It is my belief that what God wants for us here on this earth and what Psalm 67 is saying, that God blesses us with the intent and purpose that we will bless others. He fills us with joy, so we will give joy to others. God does not work in our lives just to fill up our home. The author of this psalm had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and had a desire for others to see his great God. God desires that we may reach the world for his glory. Now, does this mean that in regards to this being a missionary song that God through us, through his children, wants us to be this source of good news. Does this mean that we're all called to a foreign mission field? No, that's not what it means. But it certainly means that those whom we interact with should have an understanding about what is going on in our Life, But even more, the psalmist's desire is that he believes that by him acting as the channel, by him showing forth the river of blessings that God has given him in his life, if he will just behave the way that God has intended, it could impact people that he's never met before through all the world. Here in verse number one, He said, God be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. God wants to use us so that the world may know him. That is the connection between verse 1 and 2. Here in verse number 1, the, the psalmist borrows from the uh, Older Testament they're back in the book of Numbers. Back in the book of Numbers in chapter 6 and verse 24 and 26, God had commanded uh, Moses to instruct Aaron and his children to bless his people in this manner. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The psalmist borrows these words here in verse number one from the manner in which God had instructed Moses to give Aaron to bless the children of Israel. But why? Why is the psalmist even lifting this up? Why is the psalmist lifting up this song? He gives us the intended results in verse number two. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. The psalmist here teaches us two things. This is how you pray personally, and this is also how you pray selflessly. He prayed for God's blessing, but when he prayed for God's blessing upon their lives, the blessing was not just thinking about his family. It wasn't just thinking about his tribe. It wasn't just thinking about his nation, but he was thinking about most likely people he would never meet. He prayed that God's blessings would be upon them, so that, in verse number two, "Thy way may be known upon the earth." He prayed that God's blessings would be pouring out, poured out upon. The, poured out upon his people so that the entire world would know the kind of God they serve. It teaches us that we should not pray seeking our own primary comfort and benefit and prosperity. Warren Wiersbe writes, A blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, that helps his people, and through them reaches out to help others, who will glorify his name. Mark it down. God will bless us. God does bless us, more should I say, so that we will bless others. And if God blesses us, and we don't be this conduit that Psalm 67 challenges us to be. I guess we could just mark it down that if we're not going to be the blessing that God has intended us to be, as God has promised to be faithful and to bless his people, then in return, I suppose it's possible that God would just stop blessing us. Seeming that we fail to be this conduit that he's called us here to be. So the psalmist prayed for the personal blessing with a selfless intention. He says there, that your way may be known on the earth, that your saving power among all the nations may be known. The psalmist wanted to be blessed so that others may know God's way. God wants to use us so that the world may worship him. In the opening verses of this psalm, the, the writer prays for the blessings so that the, mas- the nations may know God's way and God's saving power. Verses three through five. Let the people praise thee. O oh God, let all the people praise thee. Again in verse five. Let the people praise thee. O oh God, let all the people praise thee. As I said earlier, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions is the ultimate goal of the church that we want to see people's souls saved. But the end goal is that all hearts will be turned back to God and give him the worship that he deserves. That we will praise him. M- missions is not the ultimate end. God is the ultimate, not man. This is the passion of the psalmist. He is convinced that God is worthy of the highest praise. And it is expressed by his longing, his longing that other nations would join in with him as they praised God. In fact, as I said in verses three and five, he keeps repeating the same refrain, refrain, that all may praise thee. Now, the writer of Psalm 67 is anonymous, but we understand that the, the, the author of this psalmist is a true worshiper. You can see the two sides of worship here, in spirit and in truth. It is rooted in both personal experience and external Truth. Even more, he says there in verse number four. This is a song of praise, by the way. He is praising God, but in verse number four, it almost seems out of place that you would insert this stanza into this song where you're praising God. But in verse number four, he said, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt Judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Now, I know that it, it sounds kind of odd to us that we would rejoice <laughs> that we are going to be judged. It sounds weird to us to to lift a, a, a voice, our voices in the air and praise that, that we're going to be in this situation, but he calls them not for the, he caused them to rejoice, not for the sake that we will be judged, but he calls them to rejoice because God is righteous, and He is the one who will be our judge. You know, it's one thing to find yourself being judged, but it's another thing to find yourself being uh, uh, being judged by someone who is aligned with your enemy. You know, ask the lady who was facing the. Troubles that several years ago down in Kentucky as she refused to sign the certificate what happened? the troubles that came upon her why? because those who was over her was aligned with the enemy instead of aligning themselves with the word of God and so in this situation we could find great joy that God is the righteous judge and it is to him who we only will answer to The nations should be glad because we can trust God that he will always judge rightly. There is joy in the sovereign authority of God. Verse number four, he said, oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Selah. The nations of the world we recognize are in need of governing, governing. But where should we turn to find it? The psalmist says that we should also rejoice in the understanding that God is the sovereign govern, governor of the world. Now, this term, govern does not refer to the wisdom with which God works in the world, but it refers to the fact that God is the final authority. Nothing that has afflicted us in this land has not passed through the hand of a sovereign God. That brings great rejoicing to me. That though the world may do me harm, God already knows what was coming my way. God is in charge of everything. God is God by himself. And we ought not be turned off by this. We ought to rejoice and be glad and know that he is sovereignly in control of our lives, that he knows the direction of the world. And this is not the all result of chance, but through the sovereign governing of our Lord. God wants to use us that the world may Fear him, he said. Psalm 67 ends and begins in the same way with a statement about what it means to be blessed. In verse number six, then shall the earth yield her increase and God, even our own God, shall bless us. The psalmist brings us here to what you could call an agricultural outlook. He says, then shall the earth yield her increase. Now, it is debated whether this statement is given in the past tense, the present tense, or the future tense here. But whether it's debated in which manner it is applied to here in this text, the reality is it. God sovereignly provides in all tenses. He has provided in the past. He provides in the present. And the psalmist, and what he's trying to emphasize is that I have great joy and confidence because God has been faithful to yield forth fruit from the ground to provide for his people. Though the curse has been upon the earth, though it has been much trouble for man, though the provisions are different from where they once were to where they are now, God has still yet been faithful to his people. I mean, really, this speaks about the dilemma of the inability of humanity, right? The farmer goes to the field. He can plant the crop. He can stand there and water all day, cast the umbrella over the seed, but unless God gives the increase, the seed will not grow. It is God who sovereignly provide, provides God must bring the harvest. This is the same thing that Paul and Apollos experienced there in Corinth, did they not? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 6 and 7, he said, I have a planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth giveth the increase. Paul is saying. Even even when it comes to agricultural terms, we can't even bring our own increase. And even when it comes to spiritual terms, Paul goes on to say that even though I labored hard, I couldn't bring an increase. Though Apollos came along, and Apollos helped me labor. You know what? Apollos and Apollos together couldn't give the increase. It was up to God and God alone to give the increase. This is what the psalmist is saying. He said, as I look around, those people who call out to you, those people who are fed by you, we are completely enabled of providing or calling people to you. But you alone, Lord you have provided for your people and not only bringing people to you but feeding those people that you have brought to yourself. This is much joy. Then shall the earth yield her increase in God. Even our own God shall bless us. This is a picture of the constant providential care from God. You know, oftentimes in ministry, people seek to try to do different things to bring people to Christ. We've got to change this here. We've got to make an adjustment here. We've got to add here, move here, and do all of these different things. I love that the psalmist uses this here. I love that he brings us to this thought process of God giving the increase through agriculture. You know why? Because for those who've planted a garden, how many times have you planted the garden and come back into your house and heard the plants sprouting out of the ground? You didn't. How many times have you been in your house and seen that it was obvious that the plant was growing right before your eyes? I'm always amazed when we do a garden that it seems I go to sleep and wake back up and sometime while I was sleeping, (laughs) this came along. But I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. And with everything I did, I could not produce it. Yet the earth yields its increase quietly. This reminds us even as we operate as a church to flee the temptations that the world puts forth before us that we must change in a manner that would better fit the appetites of the world. God gives the increase when he so chooses. God works in manners that I do not understand. I experienced it today. But when he works, there is no denying that he worked. When he does his work, you can only sit back and say, who but God could do such a thing? So he says there, then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. We can be confident in the favor of God. We can have confidence in the faithfulness of God. Even more in verse number 7, God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Verse one, the psalmist says, pray that God would be gracious to him and bless him. Now, verses six and seven, he announces the future arrival of God's blessings with confident expectation. See if you can see this. Then shall the earth yield her increase. That means it's not yielded yet. It's coming. And God, even our own God, shall bless us, future tense, and God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. He is speaking because of the confidence he's experienced in the past, because of the confidence he has in the present, There is no fear of writing this down because he knows throughout history, God has been faithful to his people. And throughout the future, God will continue to be faithful to his people. He is moving with confidence in who God is. And the reality is, is we can move with the same confidence. God has been faithful to us, faithful on every side. I, I would, even if we took time to try to offer up confessions this evening where God has come up short, we would only end up with the evening speaking about how we've come up short on God. God has been faithful. He continues to be Faithful, And because God is so faithful, we can have the confidence that he will bring the increase, that he will give the work, and that he will do the work. But even more, he says, and and I say this to you because God is faithful. We can live with this expectation of God's blessing. But in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21 through 24, Jeremiah speaking there, he said, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope, have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. God is faithful. God is so faithful that he not only knows when to bless you, he knows where to bless you in your life. And he knows how to get that blessing too. This is great news. At times in our lives, it is amazing to me that we can go to God in prayer and tell him exactly where we need him to bless us. But here in Psalm 67, he says, I know exactly how and where to bless you in your life. I know how to get it to you. I know the exact moment you need it. He stands willing. He stands ready. He stands able to bless us in such a way that all the nations will fear him. Verse 7, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. What is the fear of God? Well, the fear of God is the fear of God. It's that we really know and worship God. Fear of God is often manifested in our lives that we have this understanding that there are some things in our life that we ought not say. The fear of God is manifested in our life oftentimes that we know that there's some places we ought not go. It's manifested in our lives that there are some places that we're just downright afraid to go. Afraid to say. Afraid to do. This is the goal of God's blessings in our life. That the end of it all should produce a fear of God. But the good news is, of the fear of God, so to say, is that if you really fear God, you don't have nothing else to fear. The psalmist said that in Psalms 23, 4, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not that we're alleviated or we're. Removed from trouble, it's that our fear, our eyes are so focused upon God that it causes fear in others. Now, we've actually seen this. Let me give you an earthly example here. Several years ago, my grandma was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, when she was diagnosed with cancer, she just had this confidence in her that God had it all under control. One of my relatives said, I have anxiety just thinking about it. I mean, if I heard those news, that news, uh, I mean, I would be so afraid of the outcome. But my grandmother's fear of God and confidence in God was so strong that it stood as a testimony to others that we have a greater fear in our lives than cancer. We have a greater fear in our lives than trouble. We fear God, and we trust his providence. We trust his provisional hand in our lives. And so the psalmist says here in Psalm 67 to recap it all. This is a psalm about reaching the world through our praise, through our trust, and through our proper association of fear. The world will see. And he says, in the end of all of this, by us having the proper praise, by us having the proper prayer life, by us giving up the proper request. It it is not selfishness, but we pray that God works among his people so that the world may know that there is a living God. This is the desire of all of our hearts. I don't come here every week so that, I can just fulfill a duty. I come here to praise God. But on top of that, I thank God when the parking lot's full because it is a testament to this neighborhood. Of God, we got something going on here. We're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. We're here because of who we've come to worship. This is greater than us here. Everything we do should cause people to look upon us curiously and they should stand in awe about who we worship and who we respect and even more, even more, may we live wisely so that we never forget that our main purpose here is to liberate fallen humanity from the grasp of sin. This is not our home. Just like those soldiers that were sent to Afghanistan to be liberators, we are here for the same cause to liberate. This is not my home. I'm not signing up for, for citizenship of the United States of America. My citizenship, is a, as Paul said in Philippians, is in heaven. So be reminded, be wise that we are here to liberate people from fallen humanity, as Jew said, snatching brands from the fire. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts are challenged, that we recognize and understand that there is a purpose of us being here. A call for us to be here. To be a light in a dark time. To be a salt that has not lost its savor. We pray that you'll be with us this evening, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.